0: This is the Michael Bryan Show. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the show. And today I'm joined by Jonathan Goodman, who's the founder of the Personal Trainer Development Center and is also a best selling author of multiple books from Ignite the Fire to Viral Nomics and many more. John, thanks for being a guest on the show. Hey, man. Happy to be here. So one of the, the key things that not many people tend to share once they get to a particular level, just because it fades out a little bit, is how they got started. And I know, I know you're quite big on your story and the challenges that you've overcome. You've been quite vulnerable over the years when it comes to the things that you shared. But how did you get into the fitness industry? And then what convinced you to help trainers rather than just be a personal trainer?
1: (laughs) It's going to be fun. I got into the fitness industry for the same reason every guy gets into the fitness industry, which is I was 15 years old, and I thought that girls liked biceps. And um, it took me another 10 years to figure out that they don't actually give a shit about that. But in that time, I kind of fell in love with weight training. And I became a personal trainer, you know, two weeks after my 18th birthday, I became a personal trainer. I was studying kinesiology at university and first year all trainers had a free personal training session, two free personal training sessions, actually at the university gym. So I went and I got my free training session and I kind of, Took a step back afterwards. I was like, shit, that looks like fun. I could do that. And I was 17 years old (laughs) when I started university and you couldn't get certified until you were 18. And so two weeks after my 18th birthday got certified, I got a job at the university gym and I worked at the university gym from second to fourth year while I was studying kinesiology. So my start was really fast because I was studying full-time exercise science while working in the gym 25 hours a week at the university with other like PhD students, right? So I got a really good head start, which was cool. And then I started training clients full-time after university in Toronto, Canada, where I'm from. And, uh, and I got to the point pretty early. I mean, I figured out early on in my career that if I learned just the littlest about marketing and sales, all of a sudden I could just bypass other trainers. <laughs> and so I did that, you know, at a pretty young age. And so I, you know, by the time I was 21, no, by the time I was 23 years old, I was earning as much as you could own in Toronto. I was charging $97 an hour, training 30 to 40 hours a week, referring my overload of clients to other trainers. And I was the senior trainer at a club earning salary as well for like hiring and in-service and stuff like that. And at one point I was actually the youngest on the staff by four years uh, and I was managing them. So I kind of looked and I was like, all right, well, like clearly there's got to be something else that I can do in this industry because at this point I'm 23 years old and there's nowhere else to go. Right. And, uh, and so I started looking at books on multiple streams of income on passive income. This is 2008. This is before like the internet, you know, shoved that stuff in your face 24 seven. And uh, I was just searching for a solution, to be honest. It wasn't about helping trainers. I was in it for myself, man. I was just trying to live a better life for myself. I knew that I'd want a wife one day. I knew that I'd want a family one day. And, uh, and I was just looking for a way to make money not on my feet came across the term infopreneurian, basically said, write a book, write a book about something you know about. It's like, I know about personal training. I know so little about why I shouldn't write a book at 24 years old that I'm just going to write a book. And, uh, and I wrote a book for trainers, kind of the rest is history, right? It wasn't, wasn't this great plan. It wasn't that I, to be honest, like it wasn't that I gave any kind of a shit about the industry or other trainers. I was just trying to give myself a better life. And now you know, I'm 36 years old. So now all these years later, I mean, being so entrenched in the fitness industry for so long and seeing how much good it can do, but also seeing how frustrating it is uh, because of how many good people are just kind of crapped on constantly by big fitness, by the bad education for people entering it. Now I've become much more passionate and helping people work in the industry, but definitely didn't start that way.
0: So a lot of it came from you wanting to, break through your own ceiling as as a business owner a lot of it was your time essentially even including the salary where you still had hours to actually dedicate to the gym and it was you yeah. wanting to to really break free of that
1: yeah man I mean I didn't even look at myself as a business owner I was 22 23 years old I didn't know anything right I was technically a sole proprietor. I wouldn't have been able to tell you what those words meant back then. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I didn't know anything. Right. I was just like, well, I figure at one point I'm probably going to want a family and working from, you know, 6 AM to 9 30 PM. is not really conducive to that. Like I knew at least that much. And so there's gotta be something else somewhere else to go from here. Like I'm having fun right now. It's a pretty sweet gig for a 22, 23 year old. Right. Being you're in the gym constantly. So you're in great shape. There's girls in the gym. That's also cool. (laughs) Yeah. And also, like, my clients were people, I mean, just by virtue also of where the gym was, they were incredible people. I mean, my client was the associate dean of medicine at the University of Toronto, the chief of psychiatry at one of the biggest hospitals in Toronto. Like, these are people who you couldn't buy their time if you begged, boiled, and steal and they're paying me to spend an hour with me multiple times a week. To have that kind of mentorship at a very young age, I, I mean, I don't think enough people talk about that as a benefit, like, like to be a young personal trainer, you get access to successful people in ways that you would never otherwise get. And they're paying you for that access.
0: I've always that's... valued that 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 side of it as well. Like the, the clients benefit you. And what I found, I'm sure you can speak to this as well, is there's nothing quite like a successful person that understands where their knowledge starts and stops. So like when you've got someone that's terribly smart at something, they go, yeah, but I know nothing about this thing over here and this guy can help me with that. So... I understand the value of being good at something because I'm also good at something.
1: Yeah. Yeah, man. It's, I'm surprised that more people don't understand the value of that. and Don't talk about that more. Maybe it's something I should talk about that more. I can't think of a better job to have when you're young and starting your real life. At the amount of, father and mother figures that I had who had so much life experience, family experience, right? Work experience. It was, it was priceless. I mean, I'm still connected with some of them, right? It was priceless. It was, they guided me. I mean, even down to, down to writing my first book, uh, this was 2008 when the recession happened. And um, my dad gave me the piece of advice. He said, you know, if you were thinking, because I was thinking about going back to school and doing a master's and PhD in in muscle physiology. And he said, you know, if you're thinking of going back to school, now's a good time. The best place to be in a recession is in school. And um, and so I, I put together applications for a master's and I went to my client, Rick, who is the associate dean of medicine at U of T. And I asked him if he'd write me a referral letter. And he said, I'll write you a referral letter, of course. Like, like, you'll be amazing at whatever you do. Like, I'm more than happy to support you. But you need to tell me why you want to do a master's and PhD. And I couldn't give him a good answer. And then eventually I said, because yeah, I want to write a book. And he just looked at me straight on. And he's like, you know, 75-year-old, right, like, Christian man, like, associate dean of medicine. He just looks at me and he just goes, so write a fucking book. Ha, ha, ha. And, uh, and what's interesting is that I did, right. And I had no idea that I wanted to write a book before then, Um, but I did. And, uh, and, and my first book came out in 2011, when if I had gone through everything, I would have just been finishing up my, uh, my PhD. And starting on my book, maybe, you know, so, that, that's priceless to have people like that who just care about you and who have been through it. I mean, this guy has seen enough, you know, higher level degrees and seen enough people who got them without really knowing why they were getting them. Right. I, you know, one different tone in my life, I could have easily been in academia um, and probably blown out of it. Cause there's no way that I would have done well, <laughs> but, yeah. but it would have been very easy for that to happen.
0: So you were looking at other trainers to inform the book then? Like, what? where did the, the inspiration come from? Because just from your experience, you were doing really, really well. So did you have a lot of failures to inform, like, your advice to other trainers? Like, where did the inspiration come from?
1: Yeah, I, it's it's so interesting because I wish that I knew more of the story. I can tell you the post that I remember. I had a clipboard when I was training my clients, right? If I train clients now, I'd still use a clipboard. I wouldn't use an app. I wouldn't use an iPad. I wouldn't use any of that shit. I'd still use a clipboard. On the back of the clipboard, I had a piece of paper. It was just a computer blank piece of paper. There's nothing fancy about it. And every time I did anything, I would write down just a bullet of what I did, answered this objection, picked up this piece of garbage, saw another trainer that I worked with doing something dangerous with his client. Like there's a lot of like, philosophical stuff that you don't think about. Like what happens if you're working on the floor with another trainer and that trainer is instructing an exercise improperly and potentially hurting a client? What do you do? All right. Lots of those little types of things. Um, you know, somebody came in for a consult or whatever. I was also hiring trainers at this time. So the interview process and stuff like that, I was able to talk to and every single thing I did, I just write a bullet point and then I'd get home at night at nine 30 at night and sit down with a sandwich and start writing at 9.45 till one or two in the morning. And I just take those bullet points and I just expand on them. What I did was just, that's all that it was, right? was every single day for I don't even know how long was literally just me writing what I did and how I did it and my mindset or a story, right? Of the client. And, uh, and then I just hired a really good editor to bring it all together for me. Um, but uh, but that was how that book came together. To be completely honest, it was nothing more fancy than that. It was just day in and day out. This is what I'm doing.
0: I've always valued being fortunate enough to document things while you do them, because then two, three, five, ten years from now, it might turn into something. You know, you mm-hmm. you, you were quite fortunate in that you were writing things down to then turn into the book, what would you have done if you hadn't done that? If you hadn't been writing things down?
1: Uh, I've no idea. I've no
0: (laughs) idea.
1: I honestly, I, I have, dude, I have no idea. I mean, I think naturally it seems like I'm just, I like to create stuff. I like to build stuff. I like to put stuff into the world. Like even my, You know, my wife and my wedding favor for people at our wedding was we wrote a children's book about our adventures. And that was our wedding favor, you know, and then people really liked the book. So we put it on Amazon. Like, I just like creating stuff like that. And so I think I'd always have, no matter what it was, I think I would have done, you know, I would have built something but I have no idea what it was. And I also you know, the thing with clients, like I, I had a number of clients that I had spoken about going into business with in different ways. Um, there was a, there was a point, you know, the website rate, my doc, rate, my MD.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I've, I've heard of the name. Yeah. So I owned rate
1: my for years, for example, and I was going to build a trainer rating website back in 2008 right? And we had met like multiple times and he was going to fund it. And so I, 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 mean, I always kind of said to people, I remember back in the day, like, no matter what, I'm probably going to end up like some client's going to hire me or do something. Like it was always going to be something like that. But I don't know what it would have been, man. I just think I'm so disagreeable in all the best and the worst ways that no matter what, I would have always found myself working for myself somewhere. Cause if I, I mean, I could I could never work for anybody else. I just, it would just not work. I mean, if ever my company's bought, like we've had offers, if ever my company's bought and they're like, yeah, you know, come on and like consult with us for a period of time and work for us. I'd be like, nah, it's not part of the deal. <laughs> like, like I'll help transition then I'm out. Like I just, I just, we're, this is not going to work for either of us.
0: Right. Now I, I heard a rumor that you started, the personal trainer development center that was purely to promote your book. Is that, is that true or is there more to it?
1: No, I mean, that was it, man. That was completely it. It was, it was purely just to promote my book. Um, You know, I, I, I didn't, I don't even know if it was to promote my book. I had no idea what I was doing. I started a (laughs) blog. I didn't even know what the word blog meant. Like I had no idea what I was doing, man. And so, yeah, like I wrote a book somehow, right? Like every step was just figuring out the next step. You know, how do I, you know, I have this mash of a manuscript that's like garbage, but it has some good ideas in it, I think. And so I went to the bookstore, I was like, well, I clearly need like an editor or something. I don't even know what editors do, but I feel like I need an editor or something, right? So I went to the bookstore. I looked at the best-selling fitness books. I wrote down the authors and I went and found their websites and emailed them and asked them to be introduced by their editor. How else do you find editors? Editors edit books. So find books, ask them for their editors. Right. And, uh, and that was just the entire process. Okay. Now I have an editor, right. Brad Schoenfeld introduced me to Kelly James Anger, who I spent 7,500 bucks and edited like, okay, now I need a website. Well, how do I build a website? Again, this is like 2009, 2010. Well, one of my clients who was an Olympic gymnast, Alexander Orlando, like has a website. Hey, Alex. Hey, who did your website? Pat Benetti? Okay, <laughs> what's his phone number? Hey, Pat, who did you did Alex's website? You want to build me a website? Yeah, sure, man. 1500 bucks, he built me a website. Like every single step was that, right? It was just, I don't know. It's just figure this stuff out. Why not just take it one step at a time, right? Okay, cool. Now I got a book. Okay, now I have a website. I right, well, I guess I'll write some stuff on it. That's fine. I already have a book, so I can you know use some stuff in there. But I I don't. The website requires a lot of content, right? Okay. Well, there's a lot of other good people on the internet writing content. Do you think they'd want to let me just use their content on my website? I don't know. I'll ask him. <laughs> so I did. Yeah. Like, yeah, that was that was kind of it. Every, like, and honestly, I mean, even today, right? Like, every step of the way is that I have so little interest in learning about how things should be done because. I don't think there's very much value in that. I think that l- largely information's democratized and things that are the way that things should be done or doing things, you know, the easy way. There's no competitive advantage in that. Like it's so easy to run Facebook ads now, for example, there's no, it's not copy or anything that like, there's no competitive advantage to doing Facebook ads better than anybody else because it's just so easy to do. The same type of thing with like Instagram. There's no competitive advantage to creating better content on Instagram. But because there's just so much good content, like, like I always use the metaphor, you know, if you have a dark room, even the dimmest light gets noticed. But if you've got an already lit room, it doesn't matter how bright your light is, it's going to be ignored. So all you got to do is find the dark room and then you don't even have to be that good and you're going to get noticed. And so in the world today, it's, it's a little bit. It's being creative. Like data is democratized. Like there's no competitive advantage in having data. Everybody's data. So easy to get data, right? Same thing with Facebook ads, the same thing with content on Instagram, but being creative, right? Building a strong community that way and actually listening and legitimately caring and appreciating people. In this hyper-connected world, it seems like nobody really cares about anybody else anymore. And so I ask this rhetorical question all the time that, you know, when was the last time you had any kind of communication with a brand or with an influential person and actually came out of it thinking that they gave any kind of a shit what you had to say? Like, the answer is probably not for a very long time or ever. What would it mean to you if you did? And so what do you think is really important? How do you think you'll, you'll stand out? One by one by one interactions. I believe the best way to market, I believe the best way to grow, I believe the best way to scale is you, you be a bit of a talent scout you try to identify people who have something special going on. And then you go one by one by one and create deeper connections with them. And so you obviously can't do it for everybody. And so I look for indicators that somebody is more serious about what they do. I look for indicators that somebody is the type of person who is going to likely be resourceful and build something for themselves, right? Having a podcast is a very good indicator because it's not, it, you have to, it, it's not that easy to just hack it together. You got to figure some stuff out on your own. There's no competitive advantage to media anymore because everybody's got a media studio on their phone. If all you got to do is flip around your phone and talk into that stupid thing, that you've got no skin in the game. There's no indication to me that you're the type of person who's serious about what you do. It doesn't mean that you aren't, right? But there's no indication to me that you are. And so I'm not going to go out of my way to spend an hour of my time to, to make a very personal connection with you based off of that solely.
0: It's a very, very interesting point because you need to have A filter somehow for your decisions once you you get to a certain point you've got to find a way of valuing some of it a little bit more than the other which gets easier the more you know right like it's like when when I first started my show I had no idea what I was doing there's a much more of a barrier for entry with podcasts, which is kind of where you're going at, isn't it? It's the barrier for I'm entry at... at a particular level and you've got to find a way of judging it without judging it because right. you've got to value your own time as well.
1: And, and, you know, whether or not your podcast is going to go on to be a huge success for years to come or not, the fact that you have one and you're the type of person who put one together, odds are much better that you are going to be successful in something that you do. Might not be this, might not be the next swing of the bat, might not be the swing of the bat after that, but you're going to be around for a while. And so for that reason, right. I want to go deep with you. My reason for doing this podcast is not to get access to your audience. It's to get to know you better. That's why we're talking. I'm happy, obviously, if other people get value in this, but now you and I, for years to come, have a deeper connection because we've had a, when was the last time you had a one hour engaged conversation with somebody? We've got a deeper connection now, right? To me, those deeper connections, one by one, is the best marketing and the most scalable marketing you could ever do today. If I make three or four of those connections every single day for two months to rocket ship, right, the way that that compounds in the years to come, because you don't need, I mean, in this day and age, one connection, the way that things scale online these days, if you hit it right, one connection, one piece of content can do more than 10,000 if you hit it right right? All it takes is one. And so I'll do 60 podcasts. And if mm-hmm. one of those people becomes a mega influential five years from now, 10 years from now, well, now they're a buddy of mine, right? That, that to me is time better spent than figuring out a little bit better copy to send somebody a shitty ebook to try to nurture them and sell them on a program, you know?
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, there were a lot of crazy things that happens particularly in, in this day and age that simply didn't happen when things were brand new mm. and what what i like most is there's a higher focus on quality of the relationship with people which i know is being an ex-trainer myself is that's how you grew your personal training business was going deeper with the individual It was learning their name, learning their dog's name, learning their, their right. uncle's twice removed hobby that he does only two hours a week because of his job. It's, <laughs> it's going deeper with that individual more than like just being on first name terms with everybody in the gym. Sometimes it's a bit of a balance, isn't it? Because how you go deeper with them is you start off at a surface level. So yeah. knowing everyone's name is the start for going deeper with half of those people and even deeper with another half of those people and that becomes your business essentially. Yep.
1: Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's, that's it. Like back in the day, I mean, personal training clients, I had a spreadsheet where, cause I mean, I, I wanted to remember all of these things, but my memory just isn't good enough. And so anytime anybody would say, I, again, had a piece of paper on my clipboard. And anytime anybody would say that there was a event coming up or a family member that was important to them or an interest that they had or whatever, I'd write down that name or that thing and I'd add it to that spreadsheet. And then before I saw the client, I just pop open the spreadsheet. And I just get reminded of those you know, couple important things. Um, Or I'd set reminders in my calendar often, like if there was an important, you know, if there was like a, oh, my, you know, daughter's getting married or whatever, I'd set a reminder like three weeks before and it'd be like, oh, your daughter's wedding's coming up, right? The little things doesn't mean that you have to like remember it in your brain, but the fact that you made an extra effort to show them that they're important to you, I think makes a huge, huge impact.
0: I completely agree with that and I think it's actually more important now because everyone feels like they're not as important because everyone can follow everyone and there's a surface level connection with everybody. A previous Mm. conversation that I have had is that technology and social media keeps everybody at arm's length essentially. It's so like that includes family and it includes friends because virtually everyone's at the same distance away from you you only show them what that what they want to see what they want you to see and it creates this everyone's at arm's length and no one really knows you or you don't really Mm. know them either there's this like transactional position that people have
1: it's just so easy to be loud today and productively procrastinate and make it seem like you're working and doing something for your business. And then all of a sudden you look back three years later and you're like, what the fuck did I do these last three years? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like, what was I like, I was just shouting, like what, like, like what was I building towards? Like, why was I doing these things? And, uh, and and it's just so easy to do that to fall into that trap, um, and uh, and that's that's what I worry, and that's you know what I'm trying to avoid. Like, how many genuine like how many connections do you really need to be wealthy? Like, not even just keep like you and your family well fed, but like to be wealthy. It's not as many as you think. I mean, personal trainers, you need 20, maybe 30 clients. Like that's it, like 20, 30 customers. You don't need thousands of Instagram followers. In fact, you're probably wasting, if you're a local trainer, you're probably wasting your time if you're on Instagram. Unless you've got aspirations to build an international following and start to you know, scale far outside of where you are. But even, I mean, we've helped over 60,000 trainers now go online and add online to what they're doing. And I can tell you straight up, the majority of people never, that do online training never train anybody outside of their city. Why would you? Like, there's a lot of people in your city. Do you really need to train some girl from Austria? How many people live within a 20-minute drive of you, an hour drive of you, that you have some sort of a connection to? right? You know, somebody, you know, somebody who knows them, or you met them at one time or whatever it is, right? They have some reason to trust you more than anybody else. Why are you trying to convince yourself to somebody you've never met in another country that you are the only person in the world that they want to hire for their health and fitness? It makes no sense. I mean, I'm doing it because my goal is to build a huge international following, to sell books to, right? But I could tell you right now, My entire job, I mean, I'm somebody who's been in the online fitness industry for 10 years. I've written 11 books, sold over 250,000 items, 20 million people visiting my website. And I'm telling you that my entire job for the next year is platform growth. That's it, right? And that's what it, takes. I'm not looking at sales as a metric for the next year of my life. That's what it takes. Right? Is that something that you want to do? You have to understand that if you want to build these types of platforms, I mean, and and I'm somebody who has the career capital to do it in a year. If you don't, if you're starting from scratch, it's going to take you four. Where you basically full-time job is going to be content creation and community engagement. And for the first year or two years, you're going to get very little in response and you just got to keep at it. Right. doesn't mean that you might not sell some stuff here and there, but you have to not fall into the trap of taking on too many customers because your only job is platform growth or you make $250,000 a year training locally, scaling yourself a little bit with some hybrid training, and you're taking home 40%, 50% of that as profit. I don't know, man. That sounds like a pretty sweet gig to me.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. It sounds, it sounds like the key to it is knowing what you want to do and having the ability to focus, which speaks to actually saying no to things, doesn't it? If you, if oh, you yeah. picture if you picture your ability to focus, generally mm-hmm. speaking, it comes from saying no to 99.99% of things that are taking what? your focus away versus what? what to focus on. You kind of automatically focus on the right things if you just get very clear on what to say no to. Yeah. You
1: know what game you're playing. You got to know what game you're playing. Somebody could have a really good advice for you that's playing a totally different game than you. I'm, I'm, I'm interested as well in, in wealth generation. I mean, not, I mean I'm mean i a long-term investor. I'm more of a utility value investor. I'm not, you know, I don't day trade anything just because my business is more important. But I'm, I'm really interested in the psychology of investing because the psychology of investing is really the psychology of business development is really the psychology of training. It's compound interest is everything. It's making small, daily, important, actionable steps, trusting the process, understanding that there's going to be bumps and dips and valleys in the road and peaks and ignoring them completely because you know that you've set yourself up that it's going to be pretty hard to lose right? Knowing that you can afford to miss out on short-term opportunities, but you can't afford to screw up and never get long-term gains. And so this is just my approach, right? I am completely disinterested from people who swing trade and day trade and use bots to trade cryptocurrencies. Doesn't mean that I don't think that they're smart. Doesn't mean that I don't think that sometimes they have good advice or they figured out some stuff. What it means is that I know what game I'm playing and I know that that's not for me, right? And it's it's very much the same thing with business development. I mean, what game are you playing? I'm really good at writing. I like to write, so I write. And I'm good at writing because I've written every day for the last 11 years. I've put in the reps, like anything else, right? Am I gonna build a platform where I'm trying to point at words in the sky on TikTok, like an idiot, you know, all day. Um, I mean, I say like an idiot. Um, I don't know, it works for some people, that's cool. For me, it's like clearly not for me. Who cares if the algorithm likes it right now? You know what I'm saying? It's just not for me, it's just not my game, right? Am I gonna look at somebody who really does a great job with videos and video editing? No, again, not that I don't see the value in it, not that I don't think that they're smart. I just know that my platform is ultimately going to win or lose based off of how well I write and how well I'm able to leverage my writing into building a community. And so everything I do and everything I study is around that. Ignoring the short-term algorithmic bumps and spikes and whatever it does. Um, I mean, I'm slow to move on everything, right? But when I make a move, I go all in on that move, and it doesn't just nothing else matters, right? It uh, there's just blinders on.
0: Yeah, it definitely speaks to how you're able to do the things that you do. And before we get to the last couple of the questions, John, I just want to acknowledge the fact that this is more than a decade in the making. I used to be a personal trainer. Jonathan doesn't know it, but we go back a while. Anyone were to take that from? this interview is sometimes doing things just because you want to. Doing things that you want to do, not what, as you said, the algorithm wants you to do, or not what some bots conditioned you to do. It's just to focus on doing things that you want to do and then doing things for the right reasons.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you do stuff, you're just not going to do a good job otherwise. Like, (laughs) Like, especially if if that thing is like the in vogue thing, you know, you gotta make those TikTok videos or whatever is in vogue, you know, whether it's Periscope or Clubhouse or whatever, like Snapchat. I mean, we've all seen this. Anybody who's been in this game long enough has seen this stuff come and go so many times that it just they know that whatever's in vogue is not gonna be what's in vogue in a year or two. I mean, I've I've been around in online fitness for eleven years. I'm basically a great grandfather at this point. Like the, the online fitness industry turns over every two or three years. Like the amount of people that I've seen come and go, the amount of things I've seen come and go. And there's very few of us that stick around. And the reason is the ones who stick around are the people who stay true to themselves, the ones who do work that you know, is actually true to them. They're not jumping on every single trend because if you jump on every trend, even if you hit one or two of them, God, it's exhausting. You're having to reinvent yourself on a new platform every year, every two years. You can only go through so many cycles of
0: that. Yeah, it's a bit strange when, if something goes viral, let's say, you're then known for that thing, so you've got to be careful with, or at least thoughtful, as to what that thing is. Do I want to be the guy that jumps out of a plane backwards in a chicken outfit, or do I want to be... a bit more thoughtful behind the fact that you know if this does actually take off i don't want this to be a one-hit wonder that i've got to then maintain because Mm -hmm. that's all i'm known for right yep
1: yep yeah for sure for sure i mean yeah we're beating a dead horse like you can't (laughs) you can't possibly reinvent yourself like if it's not true to you if it's not something that actually is who you are you can only pretend to be something you're not for so long. And maybe when you're young and maybe when you don't have many other responsibilities and whatever it is, and you have all this energy, I don't know, maybe I'm just old and curmudgeon, but like, once you have a family, it just, it forces this, it forces this level of just don't not giving a shit. Like I just don't have patience. Anything that I decide to do in work, is me not being with my family? It's got to be really important, right? Really important to replace that. And as a result, I'm just not, it's just not important for me to try to fabricate, you know, this idealized lifestyle or whatever. Um, I'd rather go live, you know, and, and, and be with the people that I love. Like that's just, it's my personal preference, at least.
0: That's very, very well put, Jonathan. And round us off, tie the interview off with a bow. Is there anything that you want to say to finish us with, some parting guidance, and how can people learn more about you?
1: Yeah, absolutely, man. Um, It's Coach Goodman on Instagram is the best place to learn about me and connect with me. Beyond that, I I mean, we've, we've hit on it here. Just be a human. Just, like, how would you want other people to treat you? Right. Have you actually considered what the other person wants, what the other person desires in any interaction? Think about that as you go about your day, as you decide how you're going to market, what messages you're going to put out, whatever you do for a living. Right. Like a friend of ours here runs a company that goes, I don't even understand it completely, but basically they go and they clean out like gas shoots, you know, it was in Calgary in the oil and gas industry and his company, team of guys goes and like cleans out like natural gas shoots. And he is, he was talking to me about um, he was asking my advice and how to approach the people at these gas companies about raising prices. And I just walked through and I was like, okay, well, who are the decision makers? Who are the people you're talking to? Let's figure out what each one of those people actually wants, because it's not a money decision for the most part because you're gonna be speaking to middle management decision makers for the most part. And so what do they want? They wanna feel like, they wanna look good in front of their bosses, right? But then what are their, because this is gonna have to go to the board. Okay, what does the board need to be able to do? Well, the board is gonna have to justify this to the rest or the person is gonna, you know, the boss is gonna have to justify this to a board of directors who are basically gonna be looking at spreadsheets. So what are they going to need to have? Well, you're going to be more expensive than other people that are going to be quoting. Okay, let's figure out though why you're cheaper because you've been in this industry for 10 years. So you need to be able to create for these people something that they can show to the board of directors that says the average person that's going to need to check, like we've been, we've been working on this contract with you for 10 years. We've been in business for 10 years or 15 years or whatever it is. I don't remember the exact numbers. You know that we know what we're doing, right? You know that it's going to be done well. You know that it's going to be done right. You know that it's going to be done to code. I can tell you right now that this is what it costs to do this job well. Somebody quoting less, A, you've never worked with them, which means you're going to have to check it a lot more closely, and there's probably going to be errors. Here are all of the ways that that's going to cost you more money in your own man hours. Again, it's just a process. And this is not just fitness. This is not just marketing, right? It's a process of saying, who are the people involved? What do they want? And then work backwards from there.
0: There's, there's something to be said for knowing them well enough to know what they want, which obviously... Mm-hmm there's a lot that goes into that. I'm sure we probably have to uh, have a round two if that's ever going to be talked about on on the podcast with with us. But uh, John, this has been fantastic. It's been great to have you on the show and I look forward to keeping in touch.
1: Absolutely, man. Thanks so much for having me.
0: And for those that are listening, make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any of our future guests. Leave it a review if you enjoyed the show. And also share it on social media. Tagging myself and Jonathan and we'll happily share it. And we'd love to know what you think. I'll speak to you again on the next episode. Just before you take off, if you'd like to join my inner circle, which is accountability, access to me and you also get the chance to have exclusive interviews with my podcast guests if you click the link in the description for the podcast you get a two month free trial in the inner circle i shall see you on the other side